As David said, I'm going to go back into Hebrews 8 this morning and finish up the last new covenant blessing that is listed there, which is, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The phrase, I will remember your sins no more, is very important. It communicates something very important to us about God's forgiveness. It's a message that we must understand down in our hearts if we are ever to enjoy God and live a life of communion with God. Relationships are not just two people talking at each other. We are people with hearts. Sounds a little loud to me. Does it need to go down a bit? Yeah, okay. Relationships are not just two people talking at each other. We are people with hearts and we, we connect with each other at the level of our hearts or not. What is going on in my heart toward you and what is going on your heart toward me affects everything about the kind of relationship we can have. It affects everything about the level of intimacy or enjoyment or security of our relationship. And it, and it is the same with God. To have any kind of relationship with God, we must know, and we must know this not just in our minds, but we must know in our hearts what is in his heart toward us. We must know how he thinks about us, how he feels about us, what is on his mind when we come to him. We, we must know our status with him. And we might not put it in these words, but I believe that when we come to God, there is one big question in our heart. And that question is, does God remember my sins? Does God remember my failures? Does God remember all those dark things that I've done and thought? And God's answer to this question of our heart is, I will be merciful toward your iniquities and I will remember your sins no more. Or I will remember your sins never again. This is absolutely amazing in this relationship with God. What do we come to him with? Our sins. What did he come to us with? Mercy toward our sins and in his mercy he promises to never again remember our sins this promise is quoted from two old testament scriptures isaiah 43 25 i even i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and i will not remember your sins and jeremiah 31 34 i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sins no more and that verse goes on. I want you to hear this. God says, I will remember your sins no more. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, 
He who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. That's the one who says, I will remember your sins no more. Note the emphasis that it is is God himself who promises to not keep track of your sins. It is the Lord himself, the creator of the heavens, the God who makes the sunshine this morning, that says, I will not remember your sins. And so when your sins rise up in your memory like a ghost from the past to haunt you and accuse you and depress you, you remember that God himself promised mercy and forgetfulness toward your sins. Amen? God's promise to not remember our sins is such a big deal because sin is what disconnected us from God in the beginning. We were created by God to be friends of God, to walk and talk with God as Adam and Eve did in in the garden. But when Adam sinned, the communion with God for which we were created was, was broken, was shattered. And it is only through this blotting out of our sins from the mind and heart of God that we can be restored to fellowship and friendship and intimacy and communion with God. God promised to never remember our sins in order to assure us that his heart is open to us, that he welcomes us, to assure us that nothing stands in the way of our intimacy and communion with him. The blood of Jesus is not mainly an escape from punishment and a ticket to heaven, but it opens the heart of the Father to us. It brings us to God, as Peter says. Jesus died to bring us to God. It does those other things. I'm not discounting that, but the the core of the gospel is for us to be brought back to this intimate friendship, fellowship, closeness, this nearness, as Hebrews says, this nearness to God. The blood of Jesus creates a just and righteous way for God to say to us as fallen, broken, sinful people, I will not remember your sins. And the whole purpose of the cross is that so that we can be brought back into this free and friendly fellowship with God. So that we can come to God. You can come to God this morning. You can draw near to God knowing that he is not mulling over your sins and your failures. Spurgeon said, the Father's heart is not brooding over the injuries we have done. That's, that's just an old way of saying the, fa- the Father, God is not brooding over your sins and offenses and moral f- and failures against God. And this is something we must know. This is something we must know and it must, it must get down into our hearts. It is this complete blotting out of our sins that allows us to pray. It is this complete blotting out of our sins that allows us to worship, to sing for joy, to enjoy God's presence, to like being with God. It's this complete 
forgetfulness toward our sins that, al- that allows us to, to shout praises to him, to even, even dance before him. If God remembered our sins, we could never even enter the presence of God. If God remembered your sins, you, you couldn't even come before him or speak to him. And if you are not enjoying God, if you, if you, if you don't like being with God, if you're, if you're not just continually drawing near to God and finding that satisfying experience, it may be because you have not really received this promise into your heart. In one sense, to have a close and enjoyable relationship with anyone, everything hinges on do they remember my sins, my faults, my failures, or not? You cannot have a close relationship with anyone when you know you're in their doghouse. When they blame you and accuse you and hold an offense against you, intimacy and friendship and fellowship is destroyed. For me to be close with Cindy, my wife, I, I have to know that she doesn't remember my sins. And when a husband and a wife keep a record of each other's faults, before long, they are merely existing together in the same house. The only way for us to connect at a heart level is to not remember our sins. Parents, same thing with your kids. I mean, your kids do a lot of wrong things. There has to become a, a point where you treat your kids, I don't remember those things. <laughs> you just treat your kids, I've forgotten those things. I don't remember your sins. Many of us have a person in our, in our lives who, who has seen us fail. They've seen, they, they've actually been around when we've failed, when we've stumbled, when we've sinned, and they just won't let us go, or they won't let it go. And they always think of us in light of that sin and failure. And your relationship with that person is always colored by this past failure. Well, God is saying, I am not like that. I won't ever do that to you. I have put your sins out of my mind in my heart forever. I will not remember your sins against you. I will not come at you with a list of charges. There's a, a guy years ago I, used to, I was really trying to connect with, and we'd get together for coffee or go out for lunch, and we did it quite a, quite a few times, but every time we got together, he had some issue with me. Uh, you know, some, something I didn't do quite right or something I didn't say quite right or some way I'd kind of let him down or whatever. Well, it just, just begins to erode the relationship. We can only connect when, when, we, when we're willing to forget, not only forgive, but to forgive to forget. It's such a blessing that when you come to God, he's, he's not sitting there with a list of charges against you. God says to you, I gave my own son to perfectly blot out your sins so that I could bring you near to me. And God saying that I will not remember your sins is, just, is just, just a way of assuring us that we can draw near to God without this 
dark cloud of condemnation hanging over us without this constant reminder of our failures and shortcomings and our sins. God, God himself removed all hindrance of our fellowship when he said, I will remember your sins no more. For God to remember our sins or not really is the difference between heaven and hell, between knowing God and not knowing God, between enjoying God and not knowing God, between loving God and hating God, between wanting to be with God and not wanting anything to do with God. Martin Luther as a monk only saw a God who held up his sins against him. And he said, I didn't love God, I hated God. I was driven to the very abyss of despair. I wished I had never been created. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. And when Luther finally saw God's righteousness given to him as a free gift, he said, I felt that I'd been born again and that the very gates of paradise had opened before me. I recently read a story, those of you that know me know I enjoy uh, reading some history, and I was reading a story about the, the Donner Party, if some of you are familiar with that. And there was an incident in that story that just impressed me so deeply how desperately people need to know this message of the new covenant that God will not remember our sins. In 1846, a large group of Midwestern farmers and pioneers headed west for a better life in California. And this group became known as the Donner Party. On their way to California, two men in their group, James Reed and John Snyder, got into an argument, which turned into a fight, which ended up with James Reed killing John Snyder. And the rest of the Donner Party dis- debated whether to, ha- to, to uh, hang Reed right there or to wait and try him when they got to California. Well, they ended up deciding to banish him from the group with minimal provisions, which was essentially a death sentence. And one of the men who pushed for this decision was named Franklin Graves. And as winter came on and food supplies ran out, the the whole Donner Party party was facing starvation. And those of you that know the story, you know what went on from there. It's pretty gruesome. But Franklin Graves was suffering something far worse than starvation. He was suffering under a heavy burden of guilt for his part in the decision to banish James Reed. And he became so convinced that God was irrevocably against him that he told his family he knew he was going to die and would never make it to California. He said he, he was sure that God would have him die along the trail for his sins. And here was this tough, hardy, Midwestern pioneer with a wife and nine children. He was described as a genuine backwoodsman and pioneer. 
He was a man of large frame, good-natured, hospitable, hospitable, and ever ready to do a, a kindness. Yet he was crushed and tormented to death with this guilt. He did die along the trail and with, with this, just this pile, this low, this dark cloud of guilt hanging over him. And as I read this, I had, I know it's, I know it's you know, whatever, 170 or 80 years ago, but as I read this, I had such a compassion come over me for this man and the guilt that he was suffering. And I, I just said out loud, God, how I wish I could have been there to proclaim the grace and forgiveness of God to this man. How I would have loved to proclaim to him the better covenant of Jesus. How I would love to proclaim to him a God who shows mercy for our iniquities and a God who says, I will remember your sins no more. And perhaps the reason I had such compassion for this man is because I have had times in my life when that heavy, dark cloud of guilt and failure oppressed me. And how I needed in those times to hear this message of radical forgiveness and forgetfulness. Has anybody else ever been there? We all have things in our life that we wish we could forget. Things that we wish had never happened. Things that we wish we'd never done. And we, rem- we remember that thing that we did at that time or on that day or, or things that we said that were sinful toward God and hurtful to others. And to have God tell us that he will not remember these sins comes as the sweetest promise a person can hear. And as as we receive this message, this word from God into our hearts, it it allows us to to forget these things. It it allows us to to get beyond and move beyond the shame and the guilt of these things too and and to move on to a sense of of hope and of intimacy with God without this heavy load of, of sins and shame and guilt hanging over our heads. Now one of the ways the writer of Hebrews helps us understand this new kind of forgiveness through Jesus is by contrasting the constant reminder of sins under the old covenant or under the law with the putting away of our sins once for all under the new Under the old covenant, the sacrifices for sin had to be repeated again and again, day after day, year after year. And these constant sacrifices for sin, the writer of Hebrews says, were a constant reminder to the people of their sins year after year. But our sins have been forgiven once for all time by the once for all time perfect sacrifice of Christ. And that one-time sacrifice of Christ provides the basis for God to put our sins out of his mind and heart. And it relieves our conscience as well of this continual weight of our sins. I read a story which in some ways is very, very simple, but I, I thought it helped communicate this truth. 
It's, it was by, uh, written by a woman, a Christian writer with uh, One Truth Ministries. And she shared this story. My husband and I were once traveling with a pastor and his wife on a long car trip. And this pastor, who we didn't know well, kept trying to get us to tell him our worst sins. Now, I don't know what kind of a pastor guy this was. But she says, he continued to ask us to tell him what was the worst, son, worst sin that we had ever done. My husband and I were looking at each other, wondering if he was joking. And finally, my husband said to him rather seriously, I don't know about you, but as for me, my sins are forgotten. I, there is simply nothing to discuss. His wife said she was so blessed by her husband's response because she was really uncomfortable with the situation and just because it's completely true, completely true. It is important to keep in mind that this new covenant blessing is, is not, a, not a blanket blessing under which everybody lives. This, this new covenant blessing is only for those who draw near to God through Jesus. It is for those who know they have a problem before God and need forgiveness. This promise presumes a prior work of the Holy Spirit to make us aware of our sins and to see our desperate need for a Savior. Dick Staub, who I've quoted a few recent messages uh, from a book I, I read on our recent trip, he said, until we know we are broken, we cannot be repaired. Until we know we have fallen and lay shattered on the ground, we cannot be put back together again. And several years ago, uh, I met with a young lady who was raised in a Christian home, and she'd gone to a party, got together with a guy at that party. She'd gotten pregnant, ended up getting an abortion. And I took the initiative to call this girl because I just, I just imagined the, the guilt and the shame and the regret, and I wanted so badly to assure this young lady of Christ's forgiveness and his love for her, uh, but this meeting with her went completely different than I had planned or imagined. She made light of her immoral relationship with this guy. Uh, she said, I don't see that I am, this is almost a word-for-word -word quote, I, I don't see that I am such a bad person for having sex with him. All the kids do it. I don't think God loves me any less now just for having an abortion. There was no sorrow, no guilt, only a kind of defiant self-justification. The gospel is for those who know they have sin on their hands and need to be forgiven. Spurgeon said, there can be no grace where there is no guilt. The good news, the good news is that Christ died for our sins. He took our sins upon himself. By his wounds we are healed of this terrible disease of sin and this news of God's forgiveness. It's wonderful news. It's joyful news. It's, it's a cause for celebration. It's, it's get up and dance good news. But this 
is good news only for a person who sees that they have sin that needs to be forgiven and forgotten. And when we know that we are guilty before a holy God, his promise to not remember our sins is wildly good news. I don't know if that's a good phrase or not, but it's a phrase that came to my mind when I was preparing this. And it's just, it's just wild. If we know that we're a sinner, if we know the weight of our sin before God, then when God comes to us and says, I'll be merciful towards your iniquities and I will not remember your sins again, it's just wildly good news. Well, this is the end of uh, a series of messages on the four New Covenant blessings that I felt led to begin uh, back sometime before Christmas. And the message of Hebrews is that Jesus died to bring us into this new and overwhelmingly better relationship with God called the New Covenant. And Hebrews 8.6, which is the beginning of our passage this morning, says, Christ have, has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent. I love that. Christ's ministry is much more excellent than the old. Um, the covenant he mediates is better. The covenant that Christ mediates is better because it is, it is enacted on or, or based upon better promises or it has much better promises for us. And in Hebrews 8, we are giving in a very compact form the, the essential four better promises of the new covenant. And I'm just gonna go over them for you. First, God has placed in our hearts the desire and the power to live for him. The external laws of God were good, but our hearts could not keep them. And now God promises to write his laws in our minds and upon our hearts by his spirit. And because of the work of God's spirit in us, we say yes to God. We want to please him. We want to, to follow him. We want to do what is, what is right and pleasing in his sight. And the second, the God who created the universe, the God of the Bible, the almighty, holy, and loving God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. God, God has committed himself to you in a loving, faithful, eternal bond. He is yours and you are his forever. The third promise of the new covenant is that we are given firsthand experience of God or firsthand experience with God. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We are each one in the new covenant. We are each one given the gift of personally knowing God. We know God spirit to spirit, our spirit to his spirit. There's just this union with God through the Holy Spirit that each, each one of us have. It's a credible promise from God to know him. And then fourth promise is the one that we're covering today. I will be merciful regarding their wrong deeds or their iniquities, and I will never again remember their sins. And this, of course, is possible only in and through the blood of 
of Jesus that makes it possible for God to remove our sins from his mind and his heart and, and to tell us, I'm never gonna think about your sins. I'm gonna forget them. What, what, a, what an incredible, incredible promise. And these new covenant promises, are, they're all bundled together and I think that's important to see. Uh, a person cannot say, I want forgiveness of sins, but I don't want a new heart. Okay? And one of the problems that, that I think sometimes is in Christian circles is we talk about you know, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, Jesus died for our sins, but we don't talk about the, the thing that is bundled right with that, which is a new heart. And they cannot be separated. They cannot be separated. That's why, that's why it's so foolish to say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That doesn't work at all. Don't you know that God did something in you? He, he, made, he made you uh, die with Christ and I'm not gonna go, can't go into that, that passage. But the, the grace that forgives our sin is the grace that changes our heart. And it comes as a bundled package. We're forgiven, cleansed, but we're also made new people. The new covenant is God's full answer to all that is wrong with us. It is God's answer to all that is sinful and broken about us. It goes to the core of our estrangement from God. It forgives our sins and it heals our sin-sick hearts. And it restores us to intimacy with God. We're brought near to God through the new covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. We're made the friends of God. We're transformed into people who love God. He sends his spirit into our heart to write his laws in our hearts. And we begin to love God as sons from the inside out. We cry out, Abba, Father. We love God because of the work of his spirit in us. And this is all a work of the new covenant. The better covenant. The better hope that we have through Jesus. And so, let these promises, let these essential four promises of the new covenant, let this be the world in which you live. Uh, Let this be the air you breathe. Let this be the meditation of your heart. Let these promises of God frame your whole attitude toward life. Now I'm gonna wrap up this morning. I'm I'm gonna go back to the promise that we're focused on this morning and I wanna bring it down to some applications and I always tremble when I come to an application uh, because sometimes applications are things, they're, they're things that we draw from the the truth of God's word. When I'm up here speaking, I mean, I always feel like I, I have to have a thus saith the Lord <laughs> behind what I say, you know? And yet it's re- also really important to bring these down to an application level. And sometimes when we get down to an application level, we're, we're trying to work these things out in our life. And I think it's really important to do so. Uh, but I, I have, I'm certainly prayerfully considering these applications that, that, that they have the, 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 the Lord's blessing and truth behind them too. How does God's forgetfulness toward our sins affect our lives? Number one, it frees us to resist and renounce sin rather than wallowing in guilt about our sin and failures. I had a friend many years ago and he struggled for years 
with thinking that he had maybe committed the unpardonable sin. He was a dear guy, uh, met with him many times, and he would share how thoughts would come to his mind. Usually, usually there were thoughts questioning, questioning God's existence or thinking, thinking bad thoughts about God and God's goodness. And then he would go into this long period of introspection, introspection wondering if God would ever forgive him. You know, when an, when an evil thought comes into your mind, um, even, you know, a, a, an atheistic thought or questioning God's existence or a l- lustful thought, sometimes we can get so bogged down in this quicksand of mulling over what a terrible, disgusting thought or how could I think such a thing or how could God ever forgive me for that or we get into this dilemma of where did that come from? Was that me or was that the devil, whatever? But when we live in this promise, when we live under this promise of God's mercy toward our sins, sins, we can mainly focus on kicking out evil thoughts. You know, we're, we are, we are, we're, we're, we're not consumed with somehow trying to make, find our way through to this place of forgiveness. We, we are, we just, there's sin, boom, we kick it out, we renounce it. That's, that's not who I am, that's not who God has made me, and we resist and renounce. There is a place to confess our sins, but, and, and that's, a, that's an important part, and that's a different message, I can't get into that, but we don't get mired down in, in hours and days and weeks and years of trying to somehow figure out if we're forgiven or not or if we've confessed them enough to get forgiven. We, we just confess our sins knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and we, and we move on because of the, the, the kind of promise, the better promises that we live under in the new covenant. It allows us to focus on the incredible mercy of God instead of focusing on ourselves. Instead of being obsessed with remembering our past and our past sins and failures, we, we can, like Paul, we can forget what lies behind because if God does not remember our sins, I do not need to keep mulling over my sins and keep, keep recalling the shame. Now, in one sense, we're always mindful that we are sinners, that we have sinned, that we're saved through the, through the incredible grace of God, but we remember our sin in the light of his great mercy. And I could give you some scripture passages on that, but I'm gonna share an old hymn with you instead. <laughs> Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. This this better promise of forgiveness that we have under the new covenant allows that to be our focus. We're just, we're focused on, wow, the wonderful grace of Jesus. It's, it's far broader than my transgressions. It's greater than all my sin and shame. Magnify, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Let that become the focus of my mind and heart.
Third, God's forgetfulness toward our sin frees us to serve him as beloved sons without fear. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading or to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by, which, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, there is a sense in which we always fear God, and, and I could give a whole message on that. But there is a very real sense in which we are free as beloved children in the presence of God without fear. We are free in God's presence to enjoy God, to love God. God's, God's promise that I do not, I will not remember your sins against you, that promise allows us, as I said earlier, to praise him, to sing to him, to even dance before him with the delight of a child, with the freedom of a child in the presence of a loving parent, without fear of reproach, without fear of condemnation. Fourth, knowing God will not remember our sins draws us to the heart of God. That promise makes us want to run to him. We naturally gravitate toward people who accept us, who do not condemn us or hold our sins and failures over our head. We, we, just, we, we move toward people like that, don't we? And This isn't quite the same thing, but I read a statement a long time ago that says we like people who like us, you know? Well, just knowing that God says, I'm gonna be merciful to your sins. I'm not gonna remember this. I put it out of my mind and heart. It just makes us want to run to that kind of a person. There's not that many people in your life, and especially when it's God who says that. It just draws your heart toward him. And then fourth or fifth, and the final one, I borrowed this from William Newell in his excellent commentary on the book of Romans. He said, instead of being burdened with gaining our own acceptance with God, we are free to care for others. You know, your entire energy, you know, if, if, you're, if you're bogged down with your guilt and your sin, and we all have it, it's, it's not that we don't have it, but if you're bogged down with it and somehow trying to figure out how can I, how can I get forgiven and accepted and how, how this is all over between, this is all clouding my relationship with God, your energy can be so spent on working your way to God, even as a Christian, it can become all about continually uh, fighting this somehow inner battle to, to be accepted by God. And once you really know God will never hold on to your sins in his heart and, his, and, your, and in his heart and mind, it frees you to go bless others and to go share with others, and to go give yourself away in Jesus' name. You're, 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 unbur you're unburdened about your own stuff. You're unburdened about your own sin and failure, and it just, you're, just, you're, you're, free. you're free. You're free to love God, and you're free to go, go, go give yourself to others um, in, this, in this just remarkable freedom of the new, the new covenant. All right, let's pray. Why don't we stand? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, but let's stand as we pray here.